Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. A humble ambassador of the supreme intelligence of the universe, but far more than that, the very source of all creation, of reality, the love life source of all there is the ultimate perfection and manifestation of love, who is who the one true eternal God is. And for those that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeeting.com where there is a flip book that you can read for free, which is very original writing and understanding by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. And a lot of the print there is highlighted in red. Those are actually links to YouTube videos that are very profound and amazing that confirm from many fields of science the reality of what I am sharing and, of course, our archaeology as well. You will be amazed at some of the things that are in those YouTube videos, which the vast majority of the public do not know about. Well, this message is for those that have come to know the one true eternal God for whom to know is life eternal. He is the ultimate perfection of love. Described in the Old Testament, in the original Hebrew, the first word in English is Lord and the second word is God. Lord God is usually in the Hebrew Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh meaning the ultimate reality, the source of all, far above and separate from creation, the I am that I am, and Elohim meaning the Almighty's one, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And indeed, for God to be Almighty, and indeed God, he must rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence in personage. That is beyond creation as God the Father, fully expressed into the creation as God the Son, the Son means expression, and filling all creation in all dimensions of time and space and with the Father as God the Holy Spirit and omnipresence. I share these messages seeking to speak as the oracles of God. That's what it says in 1 Peter 4.11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, especially when we are gathered together in assembly to meet with the one true and living God in Jesus Christ. That is what the early church did. They all had total freedom to share. As the Holy Spirit moved upon them, they shared in those meetings, whether it came out in the form of a song or a word of encouragement or exhortation or a prophetic word or a word of knowledge. So missing in the church today, not only from the leadership who doesn't even facilitate the members of the body to function, let alone themselves to speak as the oracles of God. One of the things I do to facilitate speaking as the oracles of God is to cast lots 
to get the possibility of any chapter from the Bible. With two independent random applications, and then those two chapters are chosen, and they always bear witness with each other in an amazing way beyond coincidence. And so I will be sharing with you the two chapters. I meditate on them for only half an hour, very little preparation. And then I share, seeking to speak prophetically because another verse that really amplifies on 1 Peter 4.11 on speaking as the oracles of God is Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And indeed, it is out of worshiping God in great humility and reverence and in spirit and in truth with great love for God that we are filled with this spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances coming forth beyond ourselves by the spirit of God. And so I will speak prophetically to you today by seeking to be speaking out of a heart set and a mindset of worship. But before I go to share on these two passages I received today, I want to share with you a song that I also received by the casting of Lot. Out of the choice of 1,257 songs that I have, 1,080 of them are from a hymn book throughout church history as well as from the underground church in China through, China, through the work of Watchman E. Um, many songs in here. Today, the song that was taken was 686 in the Lifestream Ministry Hymn Book, which is titled, Fear Not, I Am With Thee. But I didn't pick it to actually play in the message. I picked another one because I'm very particular about what songs, and if they don't have really good corporate singing, and with the words, because I put up the words, they're, they're, they're on my website at loverealize.com. There you'll find a playlist with many worship songs. I'm sure well over a hundred now. High quality worship songs. And it's growing all the time. And they're always ones that you can play on YouTube so that if you can play YouTube on your overhead projector, you've got the words there and everything without needing to be concerned about knowing all the words to the song. So what I received today was 686. So I want to read some of these words here. Fear not, I am with thee, blessed golden ray, like a star of glory lighting up my way. Through the clouds of midnight, the bright promise shone. I will never leave thee, Never leave thee alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. Never to leave me alone. And it goes on, and there's two other verses. Roses fade around me. Lilies bloom and die. Earthly sunbeams vanish. Radiance still the sky. Jesus, Hina flower blooming for his own. Jesus, heaven's sunshine, never will leave me alone. Last verse, steps unseen before me, hidden dangers near, near is still my Savior whispering, be of cheer, joys like birds of springtime, to my heart have flown, singing all so sweetly, he will not 
leave me alone. But here is a worship song that I've chosen um, because I'm particular. So I just decided, well, this one has a bit of the theme in it as well. So here we go. That indeed is a wonderful assurance that we have of the love of God, that God, the creator of such a vast and amazing universe, multi-dimensional universe. I mean, we're only in the third dimension, which is very inferior compared to the fourth, all the way up to the 10th dimension as discovered in particle physics. And in heaven, which is a far superior dimension, what they experience is impossible to possibly even comprehend or put in words of God's love and, and of the love that they experience coming from God to them. And I have a book on that called Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable, which you can get on Amazon. 367 pages in print. Uh, you can get it in Kindle, still at a low price at this point in time. For in Canadian, 544, I think Americans, 299. I got a very low price. Now, I want to share with you the two chapters I received today by the casting of Lot before God. 
And again, a very strong theme bearing witness with these two chapters. I received Joshua 22 and Isaiah 54. <coughs> Pardon me. And in both of these chapters, you have a covenant by a powerful sign. Both of these chapters. First of all, I'm going to read and give you a little understanding of Joshua 22 without reading everything in Joshua 22. The children of Israel were conquering the promised land and the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Reuben were going to have their land on the other side of Jordan. And of course, we're tempted to stay there instead of fight and help the children of Israel that were crossing over Jordan to fight the major fight with the major forces of evil where they had become so demonic offering their children to demons and the fire and so on. They were a cancer that would spread around the world and God knew they needed to be judged and this cancer needed to be taken out. It wouldn't have been the love of God to have allowed such evil and wickedness that is a hell-contagious state of being to spread into the lives of many others around the world. He had a plan, and that was for Israel to be a kingdom of priests that would bring all nations back to God. And first, they needed to conquer. And so... There was a bit of misunderstanding and they thought, oh, you're not going to come with us, are you? No, they came. The tribe of Reuben and Manasseh came and they fought hard, left their children behind in those cities and so on, and fought hard for the rest of the children of Israel to inherit the land. And when they had come back, they were greatly blessed and thankful by all the rest of Israel that they had done such a sacrifice for them. But then they built this altar on the Jordan, an enormous altar. And so Israel thought, oh man, they're committing idolatry. Why would they have an altar to offer unto God when you're only supposed to offer unto God on an altar before the tabernacle? But it was a misunderstanding. They were offering, they didn't make that altar to offer sacrifices unto God, but so that there would be a memorial and a, and a covenant there with the rest of Israel that would ensure that they never forget that they are their brothers because they feared that in time, as other generations came across, they would say, oh, you're not part of us. You're on that other side of the river. Therefore, you have no inheritance in Israel. And so that was their purpose for building the altar. I do not know if it's necessary to even read the verses about this as I have explained it, but I will read some of the verses here on this covenant sign that was made. Then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, beginning in verse 21, answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth, and Israel he shall know, if it be in rebellion or in transgression against the Lord. Save us not this day, that we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord, 
or if to offer thereon burnt offering and meat offering, or if to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord himself require it. And if we have not rather done it for the fear of this thing, saying, In time to come your children might speak unto our children, saying, What have we to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you, ye children of Reuben and children of Gad. It was Gad also, not only Manasseh. Ye have no part in the Lord. So shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, Let us now prepare to build an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings that your children may not say to our children in time to come, ye have no part in the Lord. Therefore said we that it shall be when they should say so to us or to our generations in time to come that we may say again, behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between us and you. God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord and turn this day from following the Lord to build an altar for burnt offerings, for meat offerings, for sacrifices, besides the altar of the Lord our God that is before his tabernacle. And when Phenis the chief priest and the princes of the congregation, the heads of the thousands of Israel, which were with him, heard the words of the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the children of Manasseh, spake, it pleased them. And so there was this sign covenant between the tribes on either side of the Jordan. And the other scripture we receive today is from Isaiah 54. And the theme verse there that bears witness with what we just read, is Isaiah 54, 9 to 11. And there we read, For this is as the waters of Noah unto me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors and lay thy foundations with sapphires. And we go on and skip down to verse 16 from verse 11. Behold, I have created the smith, that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. That is Yahweh. One thing that one needs to understand about the covenant of God is that it says in the word of God that he will show his covenant to them that fear him. 
and I often teach on the fear of God and the importance of the fear of God. Another thing that is important to remember about covenant is that with God there's no genuine covenant unless there is genuine attraction to God. A genuine attraction in our soul to the holiness of his love. That is the integrity of his love that is severe against sin in our own lives and in this creation, which has resulted in great suffering and consequences throughout creation in our own lives. But some get their focus on the consequences of the integrity of God's love, that is the holiness of his love that requires such consequences of judgment upon corruption. So that they become bitter and they say, well, how could God do this? And they begin to have, even if they intellectually say, no, I'm totally submitted to God and I trust in him unconditionally. No, there's a state of being in their heart of unthankfulness like Cain, which warps their perception of God to be idolatrous because they perceive him as a dictator that requires appeasement and performance rather than recognizing that the severity of God's love and its integrity towards us is good. It has an expected end. Yes, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Are we going to buck the rider if he's seeking to break us in and to bring us to a place in our lives? of the purpose for which we are created, like a horse created for that rider. God has a purpose in all that he does, but it's out of the genuine fear of God which is willing to reciprocate, first of all, God and his holiness and totally see our need of his mercy. We cannot even know or receive or see the need of his mercy in our lives if we do not first fully reciprocate the awesomeness of God, the, the absolute preciousness of God, the greatness of his holiness that will not tolerate the slightest corruption. He is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to his love. His love is that agape love that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice that's independent of filial love or the love with feelings. Whether it's there or not, God always chooses the highest lasting good. He is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to such choice. That is the being of God's love in its defensive aspect, which is the holiness of God, which we must come to be totally, totally in awe of in our lives. Only then can we say, though he slay me, yet will I trust them. Only then can we say, I love my master, I love my Lord, I will not go free. Put the all through my ear. I see you for the beauty of who you are and your holiness. It says to worship God in the beauty of holiness because the beauty comes out of holiness. The beauty comes out of the purity of God's love. It is so pure that it will not tolerate corruption and assures that we can have a destiny that goes on forever, ever enlarging and creative pleasures of fellowship beyond our comprehension forever in heaven. 
I want to share more about this understanding of covenant. So he will show his covenant to them that fear him. And in the fear of God, there is the attraction to his holiness. There is the reception of God in his holiness. Only in that perception of his holiness, out of which we could only possibly perceive the greatness of his love, that he, as God, would suffer more than you, a mere creature. Think of that. Humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and you're going to reject this love that reaches out to you to that extent that he died on the cross? Or you're going to become indifferent to it and just go through the routine of communion or remembering him in church? It should touch your heart to the depth over and over again when you consider the greatness of God's mercy in your own life. We need to break up our fallow ground, brothers and sisters, and know what it is to have a broken and a contrite heart before him daily. In humility and reverence, in the awe of God, he wants to restore the fear of God to the body of Christ and the awe of God. And I want to go into this understanding of covenant in another aspect as well. We go to Zechariah 10, and we see here that covenant involves attraction first before covenant is made. Do you think that when David made a covenant with Jonathan, he made it because he wasn't attracted spiritually to Jonathan? He saw the courage in Jonathan. He saw the gentleness of God in Jonathan. It wasn't sexual, of course. But he saw the beauty of God's image in Jonathan to the point that he made a covenant by actually giving him his weapons and so on, if I remember right, and some of his clothing. So covenant comes out of attraction, and this is very clear from Zechariah, and it says here, And I took my staff, even beauty, and cut it asunder, that I might break my covenant, which I had made with all the people. And it was broken in that day, and so the poor of the flock that watched, or that waited upon me, knew that it was the word of the Lord. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price. And if not forbear, so they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And we know that prophecy came true when Judas betrayed Christ. Judas had a strong political desire to see the kingdom of God come at this very time. And we got to be cautious. I'm very strong and taking a political stance for righteousness, for those things that are in conformity to the word of God, as we see the election was stolen in the United States and so many other things that have been so terrible. And boy, I really hate what's happened and I'm all in the fight against all this evil for sure. But in that, we must be aware that our main focus is not the kingdom of this world in its present offer to give us liberty and freedom and material comforts. It is the kingdom of God that should be the priority far more than that. And that is what will save a nation, is when the church turns back to God in true repentance and the fear of God is restored and unity and we come into a new order under the fullness of the headship of Christ in our local assemblies. God is calling for us to never go back to being the church that just plays church the way we've been doing it 
or just is partial. No, there must be a wholeheartedness of submission to the administration of the government of God, which means that we do not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting our local assemblies. And I've written a book on that called God, Headship, and Body Invasion. It's about 270-some-odd pages, if I remember right, in outline format, but there are big paragraphs and very many levels, suggesting everything you can do in your congregation to allow the fullness of the presence of God to invade your congregation. Even suggesting the best times for meetings, not saying you have to do it that way. Like, for example, two in the afternoon so people can really prepare and have time to come to the church service. And then when they have a church service, can have a four-hour church service so they can really break through instead of some short one-and-a-half-hour church service. Anyhow, you can go get that on the Internet. Now, there's another aspect I want to bring out that's going to happen in the future. But before I bring this out, I want to emphasize this attraction of beauty some more. God makes covenant also when he is attracted to us and sees the beauty of what he has created of himself in us as individuals and as assemblies and as nations. The question is, what is the process that takes place that causes that beauty to be created in us. In Isaiah 54, we see the process described that finally forged the beauty of the image of God that caused the Lord to make such a wonderful, beautiful promise and covenant with them. And he emphasizes, fear not, Fear not, as was in the song that was chosen by the casting of Lot, which was obviously an emphasis on, I will never leave you. When God says and makes a covenant with his people, it is a final and awesome covenant. But the process that was happening to come to that covenant is clearly described in Isaiah 54. And I just want to read some of it. It says, Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes, for thou shalt speak forth on the right hand and on the left. And thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. And he goes on here. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed. Neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. The Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth when thou hast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. 
In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me, and we read that verse. And then he goes on to swear to them in covenant. And that even if the mountains depart and the hills are removed, his kindness will never depart from them henceforth. But they were brought to a place where they were once <clears throat> proud in their own self-righteousness as being the people that represent the almighty God. <clears throat> but God had to break their self-righteousness. And so he brings them to the place where they don't even feel like they're the people of God anymore. So that it says in Hosea, in the place where you were not called the people of God and where you said you were not the people of God, you shall be called the people of God. And yes, it's like Hannah that had Samuel. She was mocked by the nations. Israel was, has been mocked by the nations. They borne the reproach because they needed to go through a humbling process of God's chastisement to come to a place of utter breaking of their own pride true conversion as individuals, but also, and there always was from the time of Adam, those that were born again, and I won't go into that. You don't, you don't think Enoch was born again and had such a close relationship that he was translated. Think again. Christ expected Nicodemus to know that before he died on the cross. I'm not going to get into that topic here. I am talking about what God is wanting to do to forge beauty in you as an individual. He will allow you to go through trials and testings to bring you to a place where you die to those things in your life that have been deceptive baits, that have manipulated your life and pushed buttons in your life that have caused you to lose out. All the better to learn the ways of God to take up the cross daily than to go through all of these things in a harder way. But as long as we have a hunger and a thirst for God, we might be like Jacob, which means deceiver. He'll make us into Israel. But if we don't have a hunger and a thirst to value the things of God, how can he do that? It's the same. We see the same thing happening in Zechariah. I forget which chapter it is, where you have Joshua the high priest clothed with filthy garments. And Satan is at his right hand accusing him, saying, that's who you are. When you go through a trial, it's like the gold being melted and all the dross comes to the surface and Satan says, you're that dross. He wants you to identify with being the dross so that you'll fall into unbelief and turn from God and be bitter the rest of your life. But what you do when those things out of the trials are exposed that are not of God is you humble yourself. Before your brother and sister have you sinned against them and you say, I was wrong. And before God above all, and you confess your sins and he will cleanse you. And you identify and have faith in his great love to forgive you. Instead of allowing the enemy to condemn you and believe the lies of the enemy. And boy, could I tell you a long story in my own pilgrimage on that where I had an open vision in 1975 that I will never forget, that set me free from condemnation from Satan that was so great 
that I felt like I was forsaken by God and I was like King Saul, and yet I was hungry and I was fasting and praying and seeking God and feeling so condemned. And God came on the scene with a vision that literally opened up in the room with three other people that bear witness with what happened, including one that actually was part of the vision and experienced part of it. Only time it's happened in my life. But I know what it is to be under condemnation, to be set free from the condemnation of Satan and of my own heart. And the children of Israel were accusing Israel and misunderstood. And Israel, I should say Manasseh, was misunderstood and Gad and, and those tribes. And Satan will use those things and so one of the purposes of covenant is also is that when we don't have the feelings, we have that foundation because love is not just based on feelings. It's based on what God says that he will never break with those that have truly come to that place of covenant with God because they've seen the beauty in God out of the trials they come forth in, into that place of such a deep love union with Christ. And in the last days, the Lord promises a covenant to the people of Israel and to all of his people. And I want to read it to you from Hosea 2, 14 to 23. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, that's speaking of Israel, and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her vineyards from hence and the valley of Acre. That's the valley of trouble. That's what that word means in the original. For a door of hope. You see, God allows the trouble to bring us into the place of true repentance, of true brokenness, of true dependence upon him, of a true cry from our heart. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Oh, hallelujah. When they came out of that red sea crossing, singing and dancing with Miriam. And in and it shall be at that day, saith Yahweh, that thou shalt call me Ishai, which means husband, and shall call me no more Balai, which means master. For I will take away the names of master out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered. That's the name of an idolater's God, an idolater's monotheistic idol, like Cain worship. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven and the creeping things of the ground. All of these creatures suddenly, like the lion, will come up and be a pet and be totally at peace because the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea with his presence and glory. It's coming soon, brothers and sisters, that you're going to experience that kind of a covenant if you come into that place of a love relationship with him where you cleave unto the Lord, where you cleave unto him. You love him so much. Your love is lavish for him like the woman that broke the alabaster box at the feet of Christ because you see how great his love is for you and how wonderful he is how beautiful God is because you truly reverence him and you treat him as precious, as exceedingly precious. How many times I've been in church services throughout my life, Pentecostal church services, charismatic church services, 
where people laugh and joke over the word of God. And you know, it's almost you think Christ isn't in their midst. And then they're talking about the hockey game in the middle of, of meeting with God, the almighty. You dare bring things in there that are an abomination in the sight of God. The things that are highly esteemed among men are an abomination in his sight. God is calling his people to holiness because with holiness comes wholeness. And holiness doesn't come out of our own righteousness. It comes out of loving the holiness of God and seeing how beautiful it is. Out of which we see all the more how great God's love is. So that we can break our heart before him and break and spend all of our time and energy and put him first, the kingdom of God and not our own interests. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yeah, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will betroth thee unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know Yahweh. And it shall come to pass in that day. I will hear, say the Lord, I will hear the heavens and they shall hear the earth. And the earth shall hear the corn and the wine. Hallelujah. God's hearing these beautiful vibes in the heavens that are coming from the earth, from his creation, from the corn, from the wine and the oil. And they shall hear Jezreel. And you know what Jezreel means? It means it shall be sown of God. It shall be sown of God. When we make our hearts soft, the seed can be planted and it can sprout, and it can grow with beautiful love perfumes onto God. The wind blows upon his garden with all the spices. Come, my love, come, come. It is time for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Are you ready for that time? Get ready now, brothers and sisters. Learn to love God lavishly with all your heart by entering into the absolute awe of God. To absolute awe of how great his love is for you. How severe his love is for you. And cleave unto him. And he says, I will sow her unto me in the earth. And I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them, which were not my people, see? They were totally forsaken of God. Because they were so wicked in their own righteousness. Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. Brothers and sisters, enter into this covenant now in your own personal life. I don't know what God will say to you. He told me to double my prayer time about two years ago, just as COVID was coming on the scene. And I was so desperate for God. I said, yeah, I'll do that, God. I will do anything. If I can be closer to you, if I can have a, a relationship with you where your power and your authority is in my life. So God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this message. And support me by getting the books. I'm in a lot of debt right now, very serious crisis. And I need help, but I'm trusting God. I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm trusting him. I'm hoping that my book on the afterlife will take off called Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable once I get the advertising going and get out of the situation I was supposed to be given $93,000 of inheritance and I won't go into that.
but I was wrongfully deprived of it. God knows about that situation. I am trusting God and I'm asking for your support in prayer because I just want to be free to focus on whatever God wants. If it's to be part of some church, fine. But I am tired of churches that are not, they talk about revival all the time, but it's, it's not happening. It's just a bunch of talk, most of it, and a hype up. I'm tired of hype. I'm tired of it. I want to see real, true, genuine outpouring of the Spirit of God on those that are thirsty for Him, that are walking a life that is a holy life, because that brings wholeness and it brings the glory of God in our midst. May we be jealous for that to come. May we have the zeal for His house. Thank you for listening to this message. God bless you all.